I've got to say, it's so much more fun teaching them than it is you guys. <laughs> I love it. No, I, I kid. Um, all right. So, last week, right, we went through, and, and so here's what we need to do. We're going through Romans. This is a long trek, okay? So it's going to be a long path to get through this. Paul is not just making a, it's not just a systematic theology of, of what, who God is and, and how he creates and saves. It's, it's, it's focused on the Roman church and it's focused on, on really uh, division and, and ways and places that we inherently will like create divisions that should not be there. And, and one of the big divisions is for the Jews, those who had the law, who said, oh, I've got the law, and so, that, so God sees me differently than the people that don't have the law. And, and so for us, we can translate that into those of us who, who are, have the Bible and God's word, and how then do we see and people outside of the church or who don't know God's word or have never even heard of Jesus? How do we, how do we understand that and unpack that? And so Paul's going to have this very specific instruction as he's going to kind of walk through this, and we're going we're to pull out stuff that's applicable for us today, but as I've said before, it's important for us to stay in context. We have to realize why he's saying what he's saying, not just what he's saying. All right, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 2, and hopefully you read through chapter 2, verse 1 through 11 this week. That was, your, that was our continuity of, of thought as we're going through this. And I'm, we're going to overlap in verse 11, as Tim just read, uh, and then we're going to go through verse 16. All right, uh, before we do that, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Um, we ask, Father, that as we seek to understand how you created and how you look upon the secrets of our hearts. I pray, Father, that that would both convict us and encourage us, that you know us often better than we know ourselves. And we take comfort in that. We take comfort in your righteous judgments. We take comfort in your love and your compassion for your creation. And so we ask, Father, this morning that you would convict us, cause us to repent, cause us to turn and turn to you as we hear about the good news of Jesus Christ and your promise of salvation. We love you and we thank you for this time. We dedicate it to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So we've seen, right, last week we saw that Paul established that immorality is caused by what? Come on, say it with me. Idolatry, right? Like, like the immorality that we see in the world and in our own lives is frankly because we don't have the natural relationship between creator and creature because we have foregone and left and abandoned and exchanged the glory of God and the truth about God. And we constantly go back to worship lesser things. And it's when we do that that God does what to us? What, what, what did I say last week? God gives us up, thank you, right? 
We're, we're, we're getting there. Here we go. We got, we got to keep this stream, right? So, you know, you got you to remember where Paul's taking us. So, so God gives us up to immorality. He goes, if you want to worship yourself, then worship yourself. And what comes with that is the glorification of ourselves and the pursuit of self and immorality and all that comes with that. And so this, and Paul is doing that because he's trying to show the Jews and the Gentiles that they are all victims of sin. That it's not, it's not as if there's some partiality with God, right? The Jews aren't special because they just had this, that they too are victims of sin. And so from a salvation perspective, the fact that you own a Bible and it sits in your house doesn't mean you're going to heaven, right? Otherwise, everybody that stayed in a hotel room would be good to go, right? Um, so, so go back to Romans 2, verse 9. This is what Paul's saying. He says, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Okay, there's gonna be a couple times here that I, I, I need us to stop short of going down the path of the conclusions that, that we all know Paul's gonna get to in a few chapters, okay? He's not there yet. Let him lay the foundation. Be patient, okay? So he's saying everybody who does evil, tribulation and distress. And so we go, oh no, what, what's the plan? You'll get there. He's not there yet. He's, he's laying this, right? And I've said this before. Like, it would be really nice, and maybe during this, at some point, you sit down and read Romans in one sitting. It's not. It's not outside of the, the realm of possibility. It's really not. And when you sit down and read it, it, it's easier because it's not like start and stop, start and stop. Where were we? Right? It's one of those things. So, so he says this, and he goes, and so he's setting the stage going, Tribulation and distress for everyone who does evil. Jew who does evil? Gentile or Greek, right? And, and just for, let me just back up real quick. He divides up all of humanity in those two categories, right? There are the Jewish people and there's everybody else, right? And that's how uh, Paul is going to address these people. And so he uses the everybody else is either Greek or Gentile. He'll use those words uh, interchangeably. All right. So... What, what do we do with this? And so when Paul says, hey, everybody's under sin, his next point is that God is impartial. He's impartial. In fact, that word is actually a super cool word. If you go in and dig into it in Greek, it's, it's really neat. It's, it's, um, it's receiving face. It's, a, it's like a made-up word. It doesn't even exist outside of the New Testament. And it, and it means like to receive somebody at face value. God doesn't do that. He doesn't look at you and go, you, no, you, yet, like, he knows, and what we're going to see in, at the very end of today, he knows our hearts, the secrets of our hearts. He knows our motivations. He knows why we do what we do. And if there's something for us to anchor on this morning, I want you to think about that. God knows why you do what you do, good or bad. And so when we start, there's often this debate about like, well, how does obedience fall into the Christian faith? And how do we balance, uh, you know, the grace of God and obeying God's word? And that wrestling, it's, it's confusing and it's difficult. And we're going to see it as we go through this. But God knows why you do what you do. So if you do all the righteous things, if you have 100% attendance at church, if you read your Bible for five hours every day, 
If you are praying for the other, you know, 20, 19 hours, how many hours are there in a day? The other 19 hours, right? And you do all these things and you're like, done. I don't know, I don't know why everybody has a problem with this stuff. God knows the motivations of your heart. And so if, those, if your motivation to do those things is self-glorifying, dust in the wind. And so this is where he's going uh, in this. All right, so, so God is impartial. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just look at us at face value. And look at what it says in Romans 2.11. For God shows no partiality. And then he continues on in verse 12 to explain that statement. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So he takes all of humanity and he divides them up. And he goes, okay, over here, you have the people who live without the law. They've never heard of Abraham, Moses, or Jesus. Now, in, in, in Paul's context, he's, he's talking more Abraham and Moses, right? And he's looking back at that. And, but we, we can exchange that and understand that as the law, the gospel. What do we do with this group of people over here who, who don't know. And then you've got this group of people over here who do have the law. And what does he say? These people over here, how are they, are they going to be judged by the law? No. He says they're going to perish without the law. They've lived without the law, they're going to perish. So what that means is this, is, this is Paul's argument for the justice of God. What he's saying is like, when somebody gets up to heaven and and, he, and it's somebody who has never heard of Jesus, God doesn't go, why didn't you follow this? And they go, well, I've never heard of this. Now, how does that work? I have no idea. But very clearly, he says right here that they will not be judged by the law. Whereas those of us sitting in this room who have God's word will be judged by God's word. Our obedience to this, our, our motivation, and we'll get into this, right? So this is how he looks at this. He goes, no, 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 God isn't partial to anybody. He can't say, I'm going to judge you by a standard that you don't know about. This is, so apologetics. Apologetics is, is defending the faith, okay? It's not apologizing for the faith, although it sounds like that. It's defending the faith. This is probably one of the sharpest accusations. Sorry, I whistled. I whistle now sometimes when I speak. Is that an old man thing? I, old man, is this a thing? Now, now I've revealed it. Everybody's going to listen for it. Uh, my daughters all snicker at dinner. It's great. All right. <laughs> Sorry. We're talking about, um, yeah, thanks. Um, and so this is this is probably one of the. That's what I was saying. I was saying sharp. This is one of the sharpest accusations against Christianity. Well, just because you're in the West, just because you grew up in a Christian household, you're Christian, and so you're going to be. You're, so you're going to go to heaven, and somebody on some far off remote place who's never heard of Christ is going to go to hell. Isn't, isn't that probably one of like the, 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 the most common arguments? Again, this right here says, no, 
Now, it doesn't say how it's a no exactly, but it says that somehow, some way, God is not going to be judging them by the law. There's, there's, a, there's some sort of different way, and this is what Paul is going to dive into here. This is, this is incredible, and again, I can't connect all the dots here because clearly we know that we are saved by grace through faith, and so we're going to kind of step through this and try to understand. I want you to hear me right. This does not mean you can go walk around and go, well, you don't need Jesus. You can be saved by another means. That's not the point. Paul's point here is that God is fair and just. And that's the accusation that the world gives against God often, isn't it? That he's unjust. That he, he treats us differently than he treats somebody else. And this is what Paul is arguing. So there's a, there's a little phrase here that I want you to think about. And I want you to, th- this took me a while. You can ask the leadership in the church. I didn't, I didn't send out my sermon until very late because I was really, it, it took a bit because these are like really profound, deep truths. We are held accountable for the amount of truth that we possess. Everybody possesses some element of truth, enough truth that they are responsible for it. Okay, I'm going to prove that to you, okay? So turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Peter, in describing some nefarious actions from people, says, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. In what way would it be better? You see? There, there's, it's better for them if they had never known God's law. And now, he's not encouraging us, and we'll talk evangelism here in a second. He's not encouraging us like, hey, let's leave everybody in ignorance. This is great, right? There's, that's not it. But what he's saying is that there's a stark difference between what they know, the world, the people who don't have the gospel, who've never heard the gospel, who don't know who Jesus is, and, and us, and those of us who have God's word. Now, don't be too, don't be too callous to this. Don't, don't think that just because we live here in America that everybody knows about Jesus. You could probably drive right down here, and you could even make an argument that people have been sold the wrong Jesus or sold the wrong Christianity. And perhaps the amount of information that they have is different than what we think they have. And what we're going to see is that God judges them by their hearts, the secrets of their hearts. And so we'll, we'll keep uh, diving through this. And so, so how do we apply this then? What does this mean for evangelism? If we're like, oh, well, if God's got a plan for everybody, one way, shape, or form, why do I need to go share the gospel? Three reasons. One, he tells us to. <laughs> that's, that's the first one. He says, go and make disciples, right? He says, go, proclaim the gospel. So reason number one is because your creator told you that you should go and tell people. Second reason, and maybe, maybe one that's a little bit less authoritatively uh, you know, compelling, we get to partner with God in building his kingdom. There is nothing more rewarding than that. 
And for those of you who, who have experienced the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody or seen a life transformed by the gospel, or whatever, dude, that's, that's it. There's nothing that's more profoundly significant in life than that. So God goes, hey, do you want to partner with Do you want to labor alongside me in building my kingdom? Yeah, 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 I do. This would be great. So that's the second reason. The third reason is that when others hear the gospel, does it change their life? Certainly. It gives them joy, peace, contentment. When they understand, when, when they recognize that, that the guilt and shame that they find in sin has been carried off by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, and, and you, right? And like, you, we all know this, right? If you, if you believe, you know just what, what kind of peace that brings and how that changes how you live your life. And so if we love our brothers and sisters, if, our, if we love humanity, yeah, yeah, go evangelize to them. We should be like, dude, I can help you. I've got, I've got information here that you want to know. Trust me. So don't let this say, oh, well, God's got a plan for people who've never heard of Christ. Well, he does. That doesn't change whether we evangelize or not. But it does answer the questions about young children dying or infants, right? Or people with mental disabilities. How, what's God's plan there? I don't know. But I know he's just. I know God's not going to look at a three-year-old child who passed away and went, well, why weren't you evangelizing? <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? See, so we, we know this to be true, and we just, this is one of those things where it's like, we, we want to say that it seems fair, but we feel like we're constrained and like, no, that's, that's, that can't be right. Well, yes, this is exactly what Paul's argument is here. We are judged by the amount of truth that we possess. So then the Jews would say, well, awesome. We got it. And so we're fine. Like, we, we, we have God's word. And very quickly, Paul goes, knowing God's word and possessing God's word is not obeying God's word. Those are very different things. Even knowing the entire breadth of this, cover to cover, having it memorized, does not mean anything about your obedience to God's word. In other words, it doesn't have anything to do with the motivations of your heart. You guys with me? The vast population of humanity that live illiterate. We live in a time when that's not so much the case, right? And so how does God account for these things? This is where we, I mean, this whole thing is, God, uh, Paul is making the argument, God is not partial. He's just. He's fair, and he's fair to all of humanity. This is fundamentally important because this is the accusation that gets levied against our God. And we need to be equipped to proclaim the gospel. And part of that is defending our God apologetically, going, not, not again, not apologetics, like apologizing, but knowing the apologetics to go, go look at Romans chapter 2. I don't know how God does this, but clearly he does it. Look what it says in verse 13. Uh, so Romans chapter 2, verse 13. 
For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Okay, this, don't jump ahead of Paul. He is not not establishing a foundation of justification by works. That's like a few chapters down the line. We're not there yet, okay? So this this is super challenging because the number of times you can Google this and all of a sudden, that's what people are talking about. It's like, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, who is the lawgiver? God is. What does the lawgiver demand? Like, in any law, what does the lawgiver demand? Obedience, right? Like, that, that's the intent. All right, youth, those of you who are driving now, let's say, hypothetically speaking, you get pulled over, Maybe go, I mean, like you're one mile an hour because your speedometer's off. I know why. Um, So you get pulled over for speeding. But your parents said, hey, it's really important. Just have a copy of the traffic laws in your car. And when the cop comes up, you go, no, no, no. I know. I know these. (laughs) Is that pretty ridiculous? He's like, well, that's great. You should try reading it. Oh, but I've read them. I know that you should not speed. What's the cop going to do? Give you a ticket, right? What if you're like, but I go to traffic school like voluntarily. I watch all sorts of stuff. Like I love traffic laws. (laughs) This is why I need more help with my metaphors, Jess. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And yet that's how we use the Bible often, isn't it? Like, oh, I know the Bible. Oh, I spend a lot of time going to church. Oh, I watch YouTube videos and a podcast for days. Do you obey it? See, this is the trap that the Jews were falling into. Well, they knew God's word. But God goes, are you obeying it? And, and the, so all Paul is doing here, he goes, it's not the hearers of the word, right? He's, he's trying to create this context because who, the people who have never heard the word how are they, how does God treat them? And he goes, it's not even hearing the word. That's not even the point. The point is obedience. It's obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to the part of the truth that you possess. How much do you guys possess? Congratulations. You possess all of it. Or access to all of it. The ability to have all of truth right here. So you're in. Whether you, whether you, whether you're a follower of Christ right now or not, you're in. And just like Peter said, it would have been better for them to have not known than to sit here, to hear the gospel every Sunday, to be a part of the fellowship, and to, and to not obey, and to not desire to obey. You guys with me on that? This is... This is huge. And so this is, so he's not saying here, you are justified by God for obeying. He's saying in general, when there's a lawgiver, you, 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 they're happy with you when you obey the law, not when you just listen to them talk about the law. And so, so it is with God, right? And so this is where he sets this up. Obedience to what then? 
What, do you, what are you obedient to? You're obedient to that portion that, of, tr- of God's truth that you know. That's important. So you need to be obedient to your conscience. This, whew, 32 times in Scripture, in the New Testament, that the word conscience is used. Um, I would encourage each of you. This is super easy. It's not hard. It's not a heavy lift. Um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll send out a link or something. But go look to see how the word conscience is used throughout the New Testament. It's really quite fascinating. And the, the way that it describes conscience, and Melissa and I were talking about this uh, last night, it was pretty interesting because it talks about a weak conscience. And it talks about a strong conscience. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand how that works, right? And I don't have enough time to go through all of that, but a weak conscience is actually not that your conscience is weak. It's that you have a weak ability to follow your conscience. Like, you know what you should do, but you compromise. Or you know what you shouldn't do, but you compromise. That's a weak conscience. And we'll read about that later on in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. You can read about that as well. And so when you go and look for this, that's what you'll see. And then you'll, you'll see a description of a strong conscience and a good conscience. You know what you don't hear actually is a clear conscience, which is funny. Because isn't that what we talk about more than anything else? That's why I usually tell people why I sleep so well. <laughs> Joking. Uh, I mean, I do say that, but you know. anyway. All right. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to what he says. He says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires. Okay, we're going to pause there for a second. That word nature is the same word that we saw in Romans chapter 1 when God was talking, or when Paul was talking about our relationship with God, the natural relationship of creator to creature. Same word. The relationship between men and women, the natural relationship. This is what, so he's using this, right? So you wouldn't get that if you're just like, taking little bite-sized chunks of Romans. But as you read through it, you see the whole thing. You see the whole picture put together. And so this is what he says. He says, they do by nature what the law requires. There's something built in them, a conscience. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. You could, go, you, could go, you could go far into, the, into a very heretical place with this, right? You could say, well, they're a law to themselves. You do you. It's rock and roll. Enjoy life. Whatever you think is right is right. Whatever you think is wrong is wrong. Is that what Paul's saying here? I mean, he can't be because of the context. That's not what he's saying. See, what he's saying here is that even though they, it says um, they do by nature what the law requires, that means that there is something inside of them, some piece of the law, not the full thing, right? It's not like they're, everybody's walking around with the Ten Commandments written on their hearts, and we're going to see this here in a second, but that there's something where they have an ought. I think C.S. Lewis, I, I Googled it, I didn't have enough time to look for it, but I think it's C.S. Lewis that talks about this. Like, the ought is probably one of the best defenses for the existence of God. It's another apologetic uh, tool that you guys can throw in your tool belt. It just talked about with the kids. Why do you think that you should do something? 
this is, we can use this for all of humanity, right? Your coworker, your family. Why do you, why do you feel compelled to do this or that? It's because of your conscience. It's because God has given us this natural revelation. It's not the full revelation. It's not, it's not God's special revelation, his full revelation of who he is. But it's some piece of it. In fact, we read this, right? Just in Romans chapter 1. Go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is where Paul's putting meat on the bones here. He's putting some more substance to this. He goes, yeah, yeah. Like, this is how they, they're, they have no excuse because they know. Well, what do they know? Well, they don't know who Abraham is, and they don't know who Moses is, and they don't know who Jesus is, and they've never read God's word. So what do they know? They know what they ought to do. We all know what we ought to do. But as you Google conscience in the New Testament, you'll also read about a seared conscience. It's not sensitive anymore. It's callous. It's lost its feeling. It's another thing that can happen to our conscience. We stop, it stops convicting us anymore. And we can go down a whole other sermon on that one too. <laughs> There's question cards in the back. Please, fill them out. I'd love to answer some of these things, right? So what does that mean? That means that like, when you're convicted by your conscience and you don't listen to your conscience, your conscience might stop talking to you. It gets seared. Now, I want to be really clear here. People can convince us that, they're con that they are good. they got a clean conscience for what they do. How does that line up with God's truth? We'll get to that here in a second. Because okay? we have this amazing, beautiful promise that is the Holy Spirit that lines up our conscience with God's truth in 100% sync. So it's a little bit different, okay? We'll get there. But everybody has some element of God's truth in their conscience. And whether they obey it or don't matters. And it's an amazing way for us to point back to God's existence that his truth that he exists there's no functional evolutionary point to guilt it doesn't make any sense it doesn't fit into the package so look at verse 15 he expands on this he says that they meaning these gentiles who don't have the law they show that the work of the law is if you got it i would underline this written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. He seems to be pretty clear here that how we obey our conscience matters. And for us, inside of God's word, it's a little bit different, right? But for and this is, remember, Paul's, Paul's argument here is that everybody's under this umbrella of sin. 
Everybody's under this predicament of slavery to sin. Everybody is lost. But God is impartial, God is just, and he will deal with everybody fairly. Somehow, some way. All right. So now he picks up at the very end here, and he says that we will be judged by our conscience. What it says in verse, uh, we're going to, actually, I think we're going to back back up to 15. I'm going to read it through 16. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Accuse or excuse on the day when God judges. Like when, he, when, when we go before God, he is not looking at our faces and going, you're this skin color or you look like this or you are from here, or you are, he doesn't look at that. He isn't a face receiver. He's impartial. What does he look at? The secrets of men, our motivations for what we do. And so he looks at the world, the young that have passed early, and we go, what does God do? How do we, how do we defend that? How do they get a free ticket into heaven? I don't, I don't know. We don't have that much clarity. But we clearly see Paul's argument here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that God is just. And so what do we find? How do we, how do we line this up? Because it seems like it's in conflict with Romans chapter 2, verse 6, right? We, you guys should have read this this week. I'm going to read it. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Well, it seems like God's saying you need to obey. And if you don't obey, wrath and fury. If you do obey, eternal life. But if you look at verses 6 through 8, it's the motivation. Right? Look at what he says in verse uh, 6. Sorry, in verse 7, seek for glory and honor. There's a motivation there, right? That word seek means that what are you doing? What's your objective? As opposed to, in verse 8, but for those who are what? Self-seeking. So can you do good deeds and be self-seeking? Certainly. Could you even do bad things, but be trying to do the right thing? I think so. That's Jonathan's interpretation there. I think so. I think there's grace for that. I think God knows your motivations better than you do. You see, this is the beautiful part, is that God does not sit here and go, I don't understand what the problem is. Obey or don't obey. It's not this like callous, cold, black and white, checklist like that's that's not what Paul's arguing here. Paul's argument is all of humanity has some element of truth, and they're required to be obedient to that truth for eternal life because they know they have no excuse. They know who God is, 
They know his divine nature, his invisible attributes, right? They know these things. So what does that look like? How does this, and I'll throw some conjecture out here because I don't know the answer to this. All I know is what Paul says, okay? And what God reveals to us. He doesn't reveal everything to us, right? He doesn't, he doesn't reveal all the connections. And frankly, I don't think our brains have the capacity to understand all of those connections. But what, what does that mean? That means that somebody who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't, has never heard the word, they could sympathize with Paul's, um, and I never remember this verse. I really need to put this one in my memory, where Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I, do, I want to do, right? What is it? Romans 7, thank you. So, so like that's, so people can sympathize with that, can't they? Across the world, all humanity can say, I know I should do these things, but I don't do them, and I don't know why I don't do them, but I wish I did them, and I don't know why. I, why? why is there this conflict within me? I do. I, I, and, and I know there's a creator, clearly, because I can see all of creation, and he's revealed in his creation. I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I don't know what to do. I think that there's an element of salvation there. I think when they're revealed the truth, the full truth, the full gamut of who Christ is and what God did, this is me, this is me speaking, this is how I connect these dots. I think God goes, yes, they just don't have that peace. We could give them that peace with evangelism, right? We can go and proclaim that and they go, hallelujah, this is amazing. I've been, I've been wondering how I get out of my predicament. I think, this is Jonathan's interpretation here, okay? I'm, I'm going to be really clear. This is, this is how I'm trying to deduce what Paul says out of here. I think that might be part of how God is just to all of humanity. I could be wrong, and I could have just invited like 25 cards over there, which I'm happy to answer. But I, I mean, honestly, like, I think this is a, a beautiful thing. So how does that then apply to us? How does that apply to our lives as Holy Spirit indwelling followers of Christ? Well, this is different. Go, go to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. Jeremiah is prophesying about a day in the future, and he says, for this is the covenant that I will make, this is God speaking, with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He says, I will. <laughs> Certainly, creation already exists. And so how do we, how do we reconcile Jeremiah 31 Right Where it says that in the future, God's going to write this on our hearts. And then Romans chapter 2, where Paul says that all of humanity has an element of the law written on their hearts. Like this is, go, research. It's a, it's a fun one. But here's, here's, how I, here's how I see this. We all have consciences. All of humanity has consciences. But when the Holy Spirit indwells you, when you become a follower of Christ, when you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you go, 
I know that I can't solve my sin problem, that I can't do enough good deeds in order to be right before God. I'm filled with sin. I'm, I, I, I sin every day. I don't know what the solution is. And you go, and then you hear of Christ and you go, he takes my sins off of me and gives me his righteousness. I'll sign up for that. I believe that that is exactly what God did and that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again and conquered death, Satan, and sin. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? He effectively, effectively changes our hearts. We use that term all the time, don't we? He writes it all. He empowers us. Our consciences aren't seared. They're sensitive. They're aligned with God's word. And so we as believers don't just have a little bit of God's truth. We have it all written on our hearts, which gives us the ability to obey more and more in our lives. And God's power gives us the ability to obey more and more in our lives and to produce the fruit of the Spirit, right? So as, as followers of Christ, it's not just the same primitive conscience that everybody has, this conscience that comes, which I would argue, with being created in the image of God, separate sermon, but that we have more than that when God's indwelling spirit lives inside of us. And now we have this conscience that's lined up. And so you, as a follower of Christ, can't say, well, I thought it was okay. God is not going to give you that option. You will know whether it is right or whether it is wrong. And you will be able to discern that because the Holy Spirit will impress that upon you. So there's no escape. I mean, that sounds like a negative thing. There's, there's no excuse. That's a better way. Which is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because God helps us and he encourages us and he equips us and he writes these things on our hearts. So how do we take all this? What, what is Paul's point as he builds all this together? He goes, first, God is just. He is completely just. He is impartial. The world needs to know that about our God. He needs to know that. He needs you building his kingdom alongside of him going, my God is amazing. Let me tell you about what I read in Romans chapter 2, where he actually judges people based upon how much truth they have. Let me tell you about how amazing our God is, how he writes on all of the hearts of humanity. What does that mean for us? That means every single person you see out there, they aren't oblivious to God's truth. They have some element of it. They have a conscience. They know that they ought to do something. Speak to them about that. Speak to them about, do you, do you always do the things that you know you should do? And why don't you? I don't, but I know why I don't. Sin. The world, this is, this is the thing that points the world towards their depravity, sin. Otherwise, just do everything that you, everything that you feel like you should do. But, but people don't. This changes how we live. This changes how we evangelize. But remember, Paul is setting the stage as he's laying this foundation. He's going, do you understand? This is where we're at. 
This is, this is what, how we should treat each other. This is how we should see the gospel in our lives. So based on that, go. Go and proclaim the gospel. And now what Paul's going to do is he goes into chapter 3. Next week, Spencer's preaching, and then I think, Brian, you're preaching the week after that. He's gonna, we're going we're gonna to finish up this thing, and Paul's just going to put layer upon layer of predicament. <laughs> He's going to go, you're all responsible. All humanity is responsible, and you're all guilty. And the only way to be justified and to sit right before God is by obeying the law perfectly. Questions? <laughs> that's what he's doing, and that's what he's going to lead us up to. That's not the end of the gospel, right? <laughs> that's the bad news that comes before the good news. And so, so, again, I encourage you to go and you know, maybe read through all of Romans in one sitting, but, but hold on to this because we're going to then move forward through this and see the glorious gospel of God as Paul delivers this to the Romans. Let me, let me pray.